I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. I am recording from a slightly different location today, so if I sound any different, that is probably why. I have a makeshift blanket fort happening, and uh, it's holding together so far, but it is scaring the dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Poor dogs are like, why are you here? What are you doing? Oh my goodness. The little one that she's a year old is very scared all the time. She's She's got a little bit of anxiety, I think. She's a great dog, but she is like, what are you doing in there? She probably thinks I'm being abducted by aliens or something. <laughs> Can you imagine seeing a human do that with no context? Yeah, right? And I'd I don't, be weirded out. Yeah, I don't live here all the time either. So they're like, oh my God, this girl we see once in a while shows up to hang out with no one else. And then she's doing all this crazy shit. Like, what is happening here? <laughs> she's talking to herself. <laughs> totally. Oh, man. I will rub in the fact that I am sitting in front of a roaring wood fire right now. And it's very cozy as the snow is gently coming down outside. It is dark, but it is very picturesque. Yes, we've uh, officially gotten snow here, so that's cool. I mean, there's not too, too, too much of it where I am right now. I know some places got hammered with snow and it seemed to be quite a shock. Um, But it's kind of at that point where like it could stay, it could go away if it gets a little warmer, but we'll see. I don't mind the snow. I don't mind the cold. It's the numerous car accidents everywhere that bother me. Oh my goodness, Cody just texted me uh, and said that on his way home, he was quite delayed because there was a horrific one on one of our major highways and it was someone going way too fast for the conditions and it was very bad. Oh, that's so sad. Drive for the conditions out there, friends. Be safe. Totally, totally. Get your winter tires on if you live in the area. We're just like going off into like old lady mode here. I, I, I like it. I like it when we just like gently nag our listeners. <laughs> well, we're both into our 30s now. So I feel like this is the age where like we, we have wisdom to start giving to the youth. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Anyway, so all that being said, PSA is over. Thank you for coming to our little old lady TED talk there. Dear listeners. Welcome to part three of our Bell Gunness series. So far, we've watched Bell go through victim after victim with zero remorse or really any consequences. It's been quite the opposite for her. She has only benefited from the death and destruction that's followed her throughout her life. And that's not ending for her anytime soon. So let's pick up right where we left off with Bell Gunness. Bad bitch Belle. Like, (laughs) seriously. First of all, I didn't expect this series to be so long. (laughs) Me either, but but I am here for it. I am very much enjoying this story so far. I didn't want to leave anything out. Like, I'm shocked that she's someone who isn't better known because in my eyes, she should be as well known as someone like Gacy, especially victim count. Oh, definitely. And also, it is it is unusual to see someone this old-timey, crimey. You know, sometimes you'll get a couple of newspaper clippings, but that's about it. We have a ton of information on her, which is awesome, so we can learn about it, but it is unusual. Right. I'll, I'll say definitely at the time, and especially after the murders, she was definitely looked at as somewhat of a boogie woman, but I'm just shocked that Again, I'm shocked there's no horror movies out there about her, at least no like major ones, because this is a terrifying story, When especially once we get into this part. It's going to get crazy. Yes, absolutely. Let's get into it. 
We last left off with Belle basically creating a revolving door of victims for herself. They really are showing up one by one. Like we mentioned last week, we don't know what the true victim count for Belle is. Some believe that the total is well over 40, and I, I for one, could see that because the amount of men that would show up to her farm without telling anyone where they were going would have really helped with that, especially if their bodies were never found. No kidding. I know it was a different time and age. You know, we have cell phones now that everyone is so connected with all the time, 24-7. And in those days, it was like, oh, that's weird. I haven't had a letter from Johnny in three months. Well, I hope he's okay. You know, like people went for longer times without getting suspicious and people were out to start their lives and make something of themselves. And I'm sure it was common to have a loved one move away and then barely ever hear from them again, especially if they were moving really far away. But the amount of men who would leave to see her but not tell anyone where they were going is something that definitely is going to help her out. Yeah, and I know we still say that to people these days, more so to women, but fellas, like, don't be caught unawares either. Let people know where you're going. It's important. It is. It really is. Anyway, that's the old ladies in us coming out again. (laughs) Wow, look at that. The sun starts setting earlier in the day and like the old lady in us just beams out. Honestly, I've been sitting with uh, our cat Nova and I'm, I'm rapidly turning into a crazy cat lady. Something that she would do in her letters, she'd write these men back and forth for a little bit until she convinced them to come see her, but she would always tell them not to tell anyone where they were going. Always tell at least one person where you're going. I mean, especially if you're leaving everything behind to go live on a farm with a suspicious widow. Now, we do know of one man who got away, a fella by the name of George Anderson. George came to live with Belle and work on her farm after seeing one of her wanted ads. One evening, the two were having dinner, and Belle informed him that she still owed some money on the farm. George agreed that he would pay her entire mortgage off if they got married. Belle was thrilled, and at first, everything seemed completely fine. But as we've learned by now, things with Belle always seem completely fine until they're not. And this time, it didn't take long. Later that night, George was asleep when he was woken up by a noise and felt the presence of someone else in the room with him. This is wild. So he opened his eyes and he just saw Belle standing over him holding a candle. Oh, no, thank you. He later reported that she had this like twisted and sinister look on her face. But when she realized that he was awake, she took off out of the room at full speed. And I don't know why the idea of her running is so horrifying to me. (laughs) We know she's strong and I'm willing to bet she was speedy as hell. But you would not want fucking Belle Gunnis chasing after you. I don't know which is scarier whether she just bolts out of the room like he said she did, or if she just turned and slowly walked out like Michael Myers style. (laughs) Just Homer Simpson's back out of the room. Oh my goodness. So after all this, George, you know, he had his smart brain in that day and he packed his bags and he took the next train out of LaPorte that morning. Can we unpack all this a little bit more? Because please, <laughs> like, just imagine you are a bachelor. You're on this farm with this super intense lady, but you're thinking to yourself, hey, this is worth it. Because if you marry her, you're essentially guaranteed a great life during a time where most people were struggling. 
Then, one night, shortly after you arrive, you wake up and she's standing over you like that. Like, again, I would watch a Belle Gunness horror movie because she is a goddamn nightmare. The description of that situation alone is enough it's like a scene from like The Conjuring or something. It's very right. ominous. Oh my goodness. Well, I picture her in all black wearing mm-hmm. her like old timey clothes and she looks like something exactly out of The Conjuring because that's like she creepy ass bitch. No kidding. And not to mention tall to boot standing over you holding a candle, presumably at a low angle. That's probably where he get the twisted and sinister look from, oh right? Oh my God. What a vision. Multiple men vanish from the Guinness farm over the course of several years without any investigations. Neighbors noticed that Belle was becoming more and more reclusive. Her blinds were constantly drawn during the day. During some evenings, neighbors spotted her in the hog pen. She appeared to be digging large holes. This is nightmare neighbor material. (laughs) How is this not raising more alarm bells than it was? I mean, I guess when you're sort of in a farming community, sometimes, you know, life happens. Let's put it that way. Things die. Animals die. Maybe people jump to less sinister conclusions. If you see your neighbor digging like one or two holes, okay, you can excuse Mm -hmm. that. But hole after hole after hole, like you got to start asking some questions. I was going to say, you'd at least bring it up in conversation, I feel like. (laughs) Right, like, hey, notice that you're out there at two in the morning crying and digging holes. What's going on? (laughs) In April of 1907, an elderly man named Ol B. Budsberg arrived in Laporte. He was last seen at the bank where he signed over a deed to his home and left with thousands of dollars in cash. His sons, Matthew and Oscar, were shocked when their father went missing. They had no clue he'd been planning a trip to Laporte, let alone thinking about moving there. They began to do some investigating of their own and found the letters that he had received from Bell. The letters led them straight to the farm, so they made the long trip in order to find their father. When they arrived at the farm, Belle answered the door and they asked her about their father's whereabouts. Belle told them that she had never heard of that man before in her life. And that was that. Just easy as that. Maybe in those days they didn't feel like they had anything else they could do in the moment, but you wouldn't you fight a little harder? Wouldn't you go to the police in the area or something? I think she was just an expert at gaslighting people. You know what? You're absolutely right. She probably sent them off thinking that they were like buddies or something while they walked away wondering like where their father was. It definitely isn't here. Totally. And I mean, if you look back on her trial and the one witness basically started out by saying he didn't know them very well, whereas at the end of the trial, he was like, yeah, I love them. I'd never see her doing something like that. She is incredibly manipulative. No kidding. There were quite a few men after him who met very similar fates. One of them was Andrew Helgelian. The reason why he stands out is because we can pinpoint the exact moment he decided to not only empty his entire bank account, but send all of the money to Belle before he moved to her farm. That is how persuasive she was. She convinced him not only to just give her all of his money, but to send it to her ahead of time as a sign of good faith. And dear listeners, we'd like to share the letter that sealed the deal for him. To the dearest friend in the world, no woman in the world is happier than I am. 
I know that you are now to come to be and be my own. I can tell from your letters that you are the man I want. It does not take long to tell when to like a person, and you I like better than anyone in the world I know. Think how we will enjoy each other's company. Oh, you, that's saucy. The, I know, it gets really raunchy. You, the sweetest man in the whole world. Look at a picture of Belle while I'm reading this. What an image. We will be all alone with each other. Can you conceive of anything nicer? I think of you constantly. When I hear your name mentioned, and this is when one of the dear children speaks of you, or I hear myself humming it with the words of an old love song, it is beautiful music to my ears. My heart beats in wild rapture for you. My Andrew, I love you. Come prepared to stay forever. My goodness, that is very sickly. (laughs) He emptied out his bank account and was like, I will give you everything. Please be mine, Bell Gunnis. You know, it's interesting. I heard said recently that women fall in love more when they're around their person by spending time with them. Men fall in love more when they're separated. And they think it's because you sort of in theory, have more time to think through things because men are known not to be always, not always as emotionally intelligent. So it gives them time to think about things, but this can be dangerous because you can develop a fantasy about someone. And I think that's kind of what went on here. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. To a guy in the early 1900s reading this, that's this is like absolute filth. <laughs> Like, he's reading this, and this is combined with the fact that she's coming with a giant-ass piece of land. Like, he is so excited at this point. He is smitten. And you know what I wondered about this? Hmm. Did she write multiple letters, or do you think she wrote the same letter to each man, but with a different name at the end? Oh, I think she would have expedited this process as much as possible. I think she was reusing some of her bits for sure. (laughs) That's what I thought too. (laughs) I would be super curious if anyone managed to get their hands on some of these letters and compare them because I have a sneaking suspicion they would be remarkably similar because up to this point, the method she is using works like a charm. We know that she is a creature of habit, for sure. Yes. And we also know that continually during this time, even more men vanished from her farm. And on the sidelines during all of this was Ray Lamphere. Belle had hired Ray to help her on the farm. Unlike her other farmhands, she wasn't really into Ray. Well, he didn't show up with a ton of cash, so he wasn't exactly her type. Ray, however, was absolutely enamored with Belle, something that she was just fine with taking advantage of. Now, we want to clarify something about Belle and Ray before we go any further. They did not date at any point. However, we do know that they were intimate on more than one occasion. They were essentially on again, off again, friends with benefits. By all accounts, it looks like she would sleep with him in between her other relationships with these men, something that he began to have a problem with. It isn't fully clear when things started to go downhill between the two of them, but Ray began making scenes around her potential suitors, and this upset Belle for many reasons. He was not only this kind of weird third wheel character, but he was standing in the way of her potentially making more money. 
And as we know by now, money is the number one priority for Belle. So this resulted in her firing him and demanding that he leave the farm forever. This was on February 3rd, 1908. We know this because Belle visited the Laporte courthouse to report that her former employee was harassing her and that he was not in his right mind. She somehow managed to convince the court that Ray was not in his right mind and that he was a danger to himself and the public. I genuinely wonder if she was some sort of amazing actress or if the people who are unfortunately in charge were just that gullible. Because I get that the idea of a woman like her being a bloodthirsty evil killer was probably something you couldn't even imagine back then. But she is getting win after win after win. It doesn't make sense. I think she somehow managed to get this perfect balance of charisma and intimidation at all times, and it just worked again and again and again. And for sure, she picked people that she could manipulate, right? By getting to know these men, she knows what pushes all the right buttons. Yep, and she used it to her advantage again. We see that. She was actually so persuasive that the court decided that it was necessary to find Ray Lamphere immediately and hold an emergency sanity hearing. They found him completely sane and released him. A few days later, Belle was back to complain to the sheriff. This time, she told him that Ray had shown up at her farm looking for a fight. They had argued, but eventually he left. She claimed that he threatened her and her family and demanded that he be arrested, which he then was. Once again, Ray was released a few days later. And I wonder, because I imagine her getting away with crime after crime, and now Ray is getting away with crime after crime, and now she's, like, getting a little bit of a taste of her own medicine. Well, it is about time, if you ask me. It (laughs) really is. Like, to me, this is definitely, this is karma. He continued to show up at her house in an attempt to see her, but each time she just chased him away. And here's the thing to remember is Ray has spent enough time on the farm that he has seen what Belle has been up to. He knows she's up to no good and he has a lot of dirt on her and she knows that. Meanwhile, another family member was getting worried about their missing relative. This time, it was Andrew Helgelian's brother. He wrote to her asking if she had any idea of his brother's whereabouts. She told him that she didn't know exactly where he was, but that he had probably returned to Norway to visit family. Andrew's brother did not buy this. He told her that this didn't sound like something his brother would do and explained that he was worried. Belle was like, no problem. She suggested that he come to the farm and that they start an official search for him. The only problem, she explained, was that this kind of thing was very expensive to organize and that if he did come to the farm, he should be willing to pay her for her efforts. He agreed to this and planned to make a trip to Laporte in May. This guy is suspicious of her and she still convinced him. Right? She has, at the same time, Ray harassing her and very much at the risk of spilling the beans on all of the murder and she's been doing. And now on top of that, she has Andrew's brother wondering where the hell he is. Things are finally starting to look not so good for Belle. Around this time, she saw a lawyer in Laporte to have a will drawn up. She left everything to her children. She then went to the bank and paid off the remaining mortgage on the farm. When the lawyer had asked her why she was suddenly having a will drawn up, she stated that it was because Ray had threatened to burn the house with Belle and the children in it. However, she did not report this to the police. You can see where this is going. (laughs) 
It's and you can kind of see it because she didn't report this to the police. She reported every other thing to the police, but this specific one she failed to mention. Like most things Belle did, it's all part of a larger plan. That's right. Many people still believe that the threats Ray made were just another one of her lies and that she was setting the stage for something more. Ray's replacement, a man named Joe Maxson, woke up in the early hours of April 28, 1908, to the smell of smoke. He had been asleep in his room on the second floor of Bell's house. When he got up to open the door, he was shocked to see fire everywhere. He shouted out Bell's name and called for her children, but there was no response. He closed the door and jumped out the window to safety. He then took off running into town for help. When help finally arrived, the house had been reduced to ashes. Four bodies were found inside. A body was found in each of the children's beds, which helped identify them. The fourth body they assumed belonged to Belle. However, identifying this body was difficult due to the fact that the head was missing. Sheriff Smutzer led the investigation. He took one look at the scene and concluded that it could have been no one else but Ray Lamphere. The threats he had allegedly made to Belle were well known. They quickly found Ray. When he heard what happened, the first thing he asked was whether or not Belle and the children were okay. He denied having anything to do with it and claimed he had been nowhere near the farm when the fire happened. It really didn't help that he was spotted wearing a coat that belonged to one missing man and a watch that belonged to another. That looks really, really bad for him when you think about it, but I honestly think Belle was trying to butter him up and was giving him gifts that belonged to her victims. Absolutely. It would not surprise me, actually, if she'd thought far enough ahead where it was like, hmm, if I get caught, I am not the only one going down for this. And she was... I hate calling her smart because I don't want to sound like we're glorifying her, but she was smart enough to plan for stuff like that. And again, she's had a lot of experience at this point, right? She's definitely had time to tweak the method and perfect it, essentially. A young man named John Soylem claimed that he had been watching the farm when he saw Ray running down the road right before flames took over the entire house. He then claimed that Ray had threatened to kill him if he told anyone. Meanwhile, investigators, coroners, and members of the public began to search the home for evidence. Two neighbors who knew Belle took one look at the corpse and were like, yeah, that's not her. (laughs) And I'm not sure how they deducted that when she was missing a head and was otherwise pretty charred, but okay. But as wild as it sounds, they were absolutely right. When the remains were measured, it was concluded that they belonged to a woman who was around 5 foot 3 and 150 pounds. Belle was at least 5 inches taller and a good 50 pounds heavier. They stated that this could possibly be due to the fact that when the bodies are burned, they shrink. The contents of the stomach were sent off for further examination. Tests revealed that there were lethal levels of strychnine present. And we'll remind you all that in her earlier days as a killer, this was one of Bell's preferred methods. Bell's dentist stated that if the head was located, he could figure out from the teeth if it belonged to Bell. Investigators agreed that to find it, they would have to fully sift through the remains of the house. They called up Louis Klondike Schultz, a retired miner, and hired him to build a sluice so that they could effectively sift through all of the debris. 
On May 19, 1908, the first human remains were located on the farm. A piece of jawbone was found containing two teeth with the roots still attached as well as porcelain teeth. It was confirmed by the dentist that this matched the work he had done for Bell Gunnis. Because of this, the coroner concluded that the adult body found in the ruins was that of Bell Gunnis. And that, dear listeners, is still not the end of this story, because next week we're going to talk about what they found when they began sifting through the debris on the farm. Spoiler alert, it was a ton of dead farmhands. And actually, one of the really interesting things about this is there are pictures of this excavation available online if you search them up. It was a huge thing. People came from all over the country to see this murder scene. We've talked about it before, and uh, things have not changed in the sense that true crime has fascinated human beings for a very, very long time, and even so in the old-timey, crimey eras as well. This is one of the cases that's really used to prove that. We're going to get into it next week, but people, like, they went absolutely crazy. Yeah, we are going to talk a little bit more about this headless body that was found because not everyone was convinced that it belonged to Belle. And after we bring you the conclusion to this wild tale next week, you may just agree with them. So we have one more week of Belle after this. I could do a 10-part series on this woman and still have more to say. (laughs) I can absolutely see it. She is fascinating. If you find this story interesting, I highly suggest reading Hell's Princess by Harold Schechter. The fire only happens like 50 pages into the book and everything else is about what happened afterwards, which we're going to get into next week. There is a whole trial because Ray does go on trial for all of this. There are rumors of other crimes that she may have committed because maybe she didn't die. Like there's so much more to talk about. It is going to be the the ending is going to be the best part, I think. I am very much looking forward to learning all about it. I really enjoy the old-timey crimes, and this one is no exception. I've been very much enjoying it. This story, it makes me think of the Bloody Benders, which, fun fact, that was 80 episodes ago. Whoa! Holy cow! (laughs) Isn't that nuts? But I think about how when everything ended with them, there were sightings of them after they were believed to be dead. And Belle is tied to that story in in a way, so some of you might remember that. But one of the reasons why I love talking about crimes from this time is because I find it fascinating how easy it was to just fake your death and start a completely new life without anyone ever finding out. It makes me wonder in a way if, say, 50 years from now, we're saying the same things about our generation. Is technology going to become so advanced in one way or another that it becomes essentially impossible to commit crimes and get away with it, which is kind of a very scary thought at the same time? I mean, with all of the, I don't want to get completely into this, but with all of like the surveillance and stuff out there, we're headed that direction. Absolutely. And with AI, you know, bringing up new possibilities and new algorithms and all that sort of stuff, it's food for thought for sure. It's great. (laughs) I love that for us. (laughs) <laughs> oh, what what a dark way to end this episode. Sorry, guys. Uh, no, we that's get pretty, in- you know what? That is exactly how we should end the episode. That was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, on a slightly happier note. Okay, first of all, I feel like we haven't chatted about our live show uh, in a little bit. 
So December 9th, Felice Cafe, our very first live show. We'll be doing kind of a combination of things. But yeah, tickets are available on Eventbrite. And apparently they're going fast. So get them while you can. It's going to be a good time. Yes, I'm very, very, very excited. And the theme, as I've said many times before, is film noir. So if you'd like to dress up, if that's your cup of tea, we'd love to see you in all your vintage duds. That would make me very happy indeed. You don't have to dress up, but it'd be like way cooler if you did. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be a party pooper. I'm just bugging you. You can show up wearing whatever you like. That's so accepting <laughs> of you. You know what? If you want to dress up in your Halloween costume because you miss Halloween, do that too. Yeah, why not? Uh, your best Krampus costume because we'll be into December by then. Uh, Christmas Ooh, will be, be cool. in full swing. Anyway, we'll leave that up to you guys. We love a good outfit or love a good costume. All right. Now it is that time again. Thank you so much to our lovely, wonderful, grim VIPs and up. And you can have your name added to this list if you check out patreon.com slash the grim curriculum. Thank you so much to Bob, Lisa, Atlantean Jedi, Brian, Hillary, Judy, Mayhem Mudkip, and Triforce. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are all awesome possums. I love you. Now, if you do enjoy the podcast, which I feel like you've gotten this far, so I would hope that you do, please make sure that you rate us five stars, give us a thumbs up, leave a comment, interact with our content. It really does help, and it means a lot when you guys do, so thanks. Yeah, absolutely. We love hearing your thoughts on the cases we cover. And as always, if you have a case you do want us to cover or a grim encounter story of your own, we would love to hear those as well. So you can shoot them over to us at thegrimcurriculum at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. All right, Charlotte. So today I want to tell you about something called tooth in the eye surgery oh my god go on it was pioneered in the 1960s and surgeons put a tooth in a blind person's eye to help restore their sight this is an actual thing it's very complicated and i tried to explain it but uh, it's real hard so look it up because it's real i am going to bye bye bye